0: Sweat. Now that especially that it's getting hot, I can't stand it because I, I sweat without the mask. Uh, so I definitely sweat with the mask um, and I, I really appreciate all your help, but we're moving past that. So that's what's going on starting next Sunday. If you got your Bible, go ahead and snag it and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we are in part three of our disillusion series today. We're going to deal with this question of what happens when we doubt God's plan. The reality is all of us have doubts from time to time. As Christians, we may try and act like we always believe God and always trust God, but deep down inside, all of us have moments where we're not sure what's going on. We have moments where we question who God is and what God is doing. As we talked about the first week of our series, we we see that there are intellectual doubts where we question the, the truth of Scripture. Man, did this really happen? What is, how does this line up scientifically? There are moral doubts where we question, hey, is God right? If he says this thing is wrong, but I think it's right, am I going to choose my feelings or am I going to choose what God has to say? And we have emotional doubts. Man, caused by pain, caused by suffering, where we say, God, how come this doesn't feel like it's supposed to. So we all wrestle with doubts, and so today we're going to look at the specific doubt of what do we do when we doubt God's plan. We're going to look at a story of a guy named Peter, who you're probably familiar with, one of Jesus' closest disciples who you would probably call him the most loudmouth of the disciples, right? He was the one who would speak first and think later. Many of us can identify with Peter, right? We appreciate that about Peter. He's the one who would put his foot in his mouth. Uh, he's going to speak up in a situation and challenge Jesus. He's going to say, no, Jesus, that's not what's supposed to happen. And I think many of us will see ourselves in his story. So we're going to dig into Matthew 16, but before we get there, I want to ask you this. Have you ever seen a child or a group of children who were imagining, who were playing pretend? Maybe they're pretending to be superheroes or they're playing house or whatever it might be, but they're playing and then one of them speaks up and tells one of the others or maybe even tells you as mom or dad that you are doing it wrong, right? They had a set of expectations. It's supposed to be this, and you stepped over here and did that. Well, my son Judah is six years old, and one of his favorite things to do is invent games, and he invents the world's worst games, Uh, and he wants you to play with them, and he wants you to enjoy them, and so Melody and I will grit our teeth Yes, we will come and play with you because we want to, man, we want to fuel his creativity, right? Like we want to encourage him in this. We want to be there for our son. But they have the most ridiculous rules. And the worst thing about him is that the rules are not the same for each person. There's one set of rules for Judah, and he'll go first. And then you go and try to do the same thing he did. And he's like, no, you can't do that. Uh, Right? And, And so he tells you oftentimes that you are doing it wrong. And he gets really frustrated when you step outside of his expectations for how you should play his game. The reality is we all have expectations for others, don't we? We all have expectations for how we think things should go. In fact, I think one of the deepest sources of pain, of offense, of frustration that we have in interpersonal relationships isn't so much what happens to us as it is what happens to us in relation to what we expected to happen. Allow me to illustrate this for you. For instance, have you ever had someone not get you a birthday present and it hurt? It was frustrating, it was disappointing. By the way, today is Mark Cheney's birthday. Give it up for Mark. Happy birthday to him. I- I won't tell you how old he is because I can't count that high, uh, but, but we're happy for Mark. Uh, he's celebrating his birthday today. Have you? And this is not an illustration about him. I'm just shouting him out because I was talking about birthdays. He's not like mad somebody didn't get him a present. Let me be clear. But, but have you ever been upset because somebody forgot your birthday? The reality is you're not upset because you expect the, everyone to recognize your birthday, right? There's 7 billion people that didn't get you a birthday present and that didn't bother you. It bothered you that that one person didn't because of your expectations in relationship to their role in your life. Your expectations in relationship to what the nature of your relationship with them is. It wasn't that you didn't get a present. It's that you didn't get a present that you expected to get. You understand what I'm saying? It's the unmet expectations that often brings us great frustration. And while we get frustrated with people and offended at people when they fail to meet our expectations, the reality is we oftentimes do the same thing with God. That God doesn't always meet our expectations. God doesn't always do what we expect. In fact, I would say a lot of times he doesn't, right? A lot of times God's plan is different than my plan. And when God's plan is different, I wanna have a talk to him. I want to set him straight and remind him that he needs to do things my way. And you know how effective those conversations are? Not very effective at all, right? I always lose that argument with God. Some of you are shaking your head because you understand and you've had that same discussion. You know, the disciples often had these situations with Jesus, See, the disciples had one set of expectations about what the Messiah would be. They believed the Messiah was going to come and set them free from Roman rule. That the the Messiah was going to come and and reestablish Israel as an independent, sovereign nation. That's what the the Messiah was coming for. And so they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, this passage we're going to read in Matthew 16 literally comes immediately after Peter makes this declaration that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this is a spiritual high, right? Peter gets this affirmation, this recognition that, yes, you got it. Yes, you connected the dots. Yes, the the Holy Spirit has revealed to you who I am, and they're celebrating, and it's great. And they go immediately from that to the very next passage, and we don't know how much time passes in between, perhaps a few moments, perhaps a few hours, perhaps a couple of weeks, But we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And I'm going to read it to you today from the ESV version because I like the way that it's phrased here. And it says this, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What's Jesus telling them? He's telling them his purpose. This is why I came right? Now, this is not some sudden reveal that was hidden throughout history. We just read Isaiah 53, which was written about six, seven hundred years before Jesus showed up, and all of this was forecast. All of this was prophesied. All of this was predicted. So Jesus isn't telling them something brand new about the Messiah, but he is telling them something uncomfortable about the Messiah. He says, I'm going to die. And he doesn't stop with the bad news, thankfully. He says, I'm going to die, but I'm coming back, right? He's encouraging them. He's letting them know, even when I die, even when you see me nailed to that cross, don't freak out because I'm coming back. This is part of the plan. Don't be caught off guard. Don't, don't think that, man, something went backwards or wrong. This is what's supposed to happen. And Peter, poor Peter, Peter speaks up in verse 22 and it says, he takes Jesus aside. You can imagine him putting his arm around Jesus and kind of patting him on the back. And it says, and he began to rebuke him. You ever rebuked Jesus? How'd that go for you? Right? It says, he began to rebuke him and he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. That phrase in the Greek in verse 22 that says, far be it from you is literally, may God be merciful to you, Lord. If we can translate that into modern day Southern, Peter tells Jesus, bless your heart. Just put, I know it's been rough. I know it's been a bad couple days, but you don't need to be so depressed. You're not gonna die. You're the son of God. That's not gonna happen to you, right? Like he pulls him aside and he condescends Jesus. How'd that work out for him? Not great. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 23. It says, but he turned to Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. Ow. His friend. His mentor, his savior, his rabbi calls him Satan. Why? Because Peter just wanted to speak up and say, I'm not letting that happen to you. But look at what Jesus says. He says, you are a hindrance. The Greek literally means a stumbling block. You are between me and where I'm supposed to go. He says, you're a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. I wonder sometimes how many of our doubts arise because we don't have our mind on godly things but on earthly things. I wonder sometimes how many of our expectations go unmet because our expectations are centered around our fleshly needs and our fleshly desires rather than the things that we know that God has for us and wants for us and his purpose for us and we get frustrated with God and we cry out to God and we despair to God simply because our mind is not where it needs to be. I know in my case... It's certainly not unheard of. Jesus speaks to Peter and he says, get behind me. He says, your mind is not on the things of God, but the things of man. A fundamental reality about the Christian life is that God has called us into relationship with him, right? Like that's why when Jesus takes his last breath, the the veil and the curtain in the temple is ripped top to bottom, because God is making the statement that the separation between God and man has been eliminated. That because of Jesus, you have access to my presence now. Because of Jesus, I don't have to be hidden away from you. But I can actually come near. I can actually send my spirit to live in you. To dwell with you. Jesus Emmanuel, right? The same prophet Isaiah that we read. The, this passage in Isaiah 53 that Jesus would come. He says that Jesus is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's no more separation between him and us. Now we get to do life together the way he originally designed it in the garden, right? Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening and then sin came in and messed everything up. Best thing I can compare sin to is COVID, right? COVID ruined everything. Sin ruins everything, right? Like it just seems like everything went sideways because of sin and that wasn't 14 months, that was thousands of years. But Jesus comes And he restores fellowship with God. He restores relationship with God. You are called and purposed into relationship with him. And that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But the same brokenness in us, the same flesh in us, the same stuff in us that causes us to get frustrated with each other and have conflict in our earthly relationships oftentimes creeps up into our heavenly relationship. And it causes us to doubt God. Now, I'm not saying you're a failure because you have doubts, because all of us do. It's the reality of our human nature. But what do we do when we have them? How do we handle them? We're going to get to that in a moment. Before we do, I want to share with you something I never thought I would teach on. But here we are, so here we go. Uh, We're going to talk about Metallica this morning. In 1991, the heavy metal band Metallica uh, wrote a song called The God That Failed. And The God That Failed was written by their lead singer, James Hatfield. Uh, and it's got a lyric in it that says this. It says, The healing hand held back by the deepened nail. Follow the God that failed. You see, The God That Failed is based on James Hatfield's childhood experience of growing up in Christian science. If you're familiar with the Christian science, I would not say denomination. I would say cult. Uh, They believe a number of things that we don't believe. Uh, One of the things they believe is that you don't need medical attention. You don't need doctors. You don't need medicine. That God's going to heal everything. That if we have the right faith and the right life, that everything will take care of itself. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't teach that. It sounds great, uh, but that's not what the Word of God teaches. In fact, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he was a doctor, One of Jesus' greatest followers was actually a doctor. I think there's a principle there for us. We should take advantage of medicine. We should take advantage of physicians and doctors, and those are good things for us. Well, those who believe Christian science don't. So James Hatfield's mother got very sick and chose not to get medical attention because that's what her church taught and believed. And he watched his mom die. So he writes a song about the God who failed. Because the God who he had been taught about, the God who he believed in, didn't show up when he needed him. And he believed that that was a failure on God's part. What that actually was, was a failure on the church's part. Because they taught something that God never said. They accredited a promise to God that God never made. And this, by the way, is why theology is so important. This is why it's important for us to study the word of God and know what the word of God actually says because when we misrepresent what God says, people get hurt. People get broken. And so Metallica's lead singer was turned off to God, turned off to faith, turned off because he saw something that didn't work. Now the reality is Many times we have a loved one who dies, who leaves us too soon, and it affects our faith, and it's not because we had bad theology. It's not because we believed that God would supernaturally step in and rescue everyone. It's because we just believed that person was going to be part of our life a little bit longer. And there's this unmet expectation. God, I thought my parent was going to be there, so walk me down the aisle. I thought they were going to be there to see my kids graduate high school. I thought they were going to be around in this situation or that situation. And that unmet expectation brings a lot of pain. Remember, if we go back to week one, that's an emotional doubt, right? Very real, that we all wrestle with. Peter had some emotional doubt when Jesus said, here's the plan. Here's what's going to happen. Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus constantly has to distinguish for his disciples between his actual purpose and what they think his purpose is. I can give you a couple other examples. Let's pick on Peter a little bit more. Peter's an easy guy to pick on, right? Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is getting arrested. This is after he instituted communion, just a few hours after the first Lord's Supper. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. They pray for an hour. Peter falls asleep. So Peter's already not having a great night, right? He falls asleep. Jesus is like, can't you even pray for an hour? He falls asleep again. So so Jesus has the chief priests and, and the Pharisees, they send the guards to arrest him. And Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he kisses him to demonstrate, this is the one for you to arrest, And they come to arrest Jesus, and Peter's like, oh, no, not on my watch. I I already told Jesus this ain't gonna happen, right? So what does he do? He pulls out his sword, and he cuts off the dude's ear. He's like, Jesus, I got your back. And Jesus picks up his ear, puts it back on. He's like, here you go, Evander, right? And then he sews his ear back on. He supernaturally implants it. Three of you are old enough to get that joke. Thank you for grinning, uh, making me feel better. Uh, So he puts his ear back on, and he supernaturally restores this man, and then he tells Peter, no, this isn't the way, right? Peter had an idea of what Jesus was supposed to be, and him getting arrested did not fit with that plan. Here's what's wild, even after Jesus died, after Jesus raises again, after he appears to the disciples, even after all that, they still don't get it. Let me illustrate for you this for you in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 6, Jesus is about to, to ascend into heaven. He's about to leave. He's about to tell them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth to tell people about me, right? This incredible, incredible season in church history is about to happen. It says, verse 6, then they gathered around him, him being Jesus, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still don't get it. They're still missing the point. They still think he came just to be this earthly king, to to restore Israel as its own sovereign nation when Jesus' plans were so much bigger. So Jesus tells them, verse 7, he says, no, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They still don't get it. They miss it time and again. What's incredible is when you read past this in Scripture and he fills him with the Holy Spirit, they get it. It's the power of the Spirit that lives in you and that lives in me. It starts to make sense. They're not missing the point anymore. This is the last point in Scripture where the disciples challenge Jesus and try to get him to be something other than what he's actually called to be. So we've got the power to push past those doubts and to lean into the plan that God has for us. Here's the danger, guys. The danger of doubting God's plans is if we're not careful, then it can begin to make us doubt God himself. All of us doubt God's plans from time to time. All of us doubt the plans God has for us. The season that we're in, all of us have questions, and that's okay to have questions. Bring those questions to God. But if we let them fester, if we don't deal with them, they can make us actually start to question God himself. The advantage the disciples had is Jesus was right there in front of them. To, to, to address their doubts, to deal with their doubts, to help them finally get the point. I want to share with you today as we close three truths about God's plans that every Christ follower must accept. If you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to follow Jesus, the plan that he has for your life, the call he has for your life, if you're to walk in the stuff that he has created you for, you're going to have to accept these truths about God's plans. The first one is this, and you already know it. But we got to put it down. God's plan is not my plan. Right? I've got a plan for my life. I've got an idea where it should go and what it should look like and what it should be. And God's got a different plan for my life. Isaiah 55 puts it this way. We're hitting a lot of Isaiah today. Says this says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. God says, I got thoughts, and you got thoughts, and they're not the same thing. I got ways, and you got ways, and they're not the same thing. My thoughts are different than yours. My ways are different than yours. He doesn't specifically say my plans are different, but we can infer it very strongly from that passage, right? Because my thoughts build my plans, and God's thoughts build God's plans. So God's plan for me is not my plan. Back in 2001, I left my home in North Carolina And I moved to a church in Tulsa to do an internship. I wanted to be in youth ministry, and they had the the biggest, baddest youth ministry around and had this internship program. And I was so excited to go and intern and learn to be a youth pastor. And here was my plan, here was my goal, here was my vision. I was going to spend a year there and learn as much as I could, and then I was going to move back home to my home church, which at that time was called Evangel Fellowship. They've changed the name since then. But I was going to be my youth pastor, Russell Sellers, assistant. I was coming in, I was going to be his assistant, and that was my dream. That was my hope. That was as big as my plan was for my life, as I was moving back to Rutherford County, North Carolina, back to Forest City, uh, to be an assistant youth pastor. And so we talked about it before I went, and my youth pastor, Russell, was like, man, it would be awesome. That would be so cool. And I thought he was saying, yes, this is going to happen. So I went and I did my year, and right around the end of the year, uh, they, they pulled the interns in, a few of us, that they wanted to keep and they offered us what's called the apprenticeship. The apprenticeship is a second year internship. And I was like, no, I'm good. I already know what I'm doing, right? I'm moving home. I'm going to be my assistant youth pastor. Thanks, but no thanks. So I called Pastor Russell and I'm like, hey, man, just wanted to check in and see, you know, what do I need to do to to get ready to move home and help be be on staff with you? And he's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. In fact, he was surprised I even brought it up. Like we had had it, what to him, I guess, was a casual conversation where it's like, man, that would be awesome. To me, this was like, this is what's going to happen, right? So I'm crushed. I'm devastated. I'm, I just wasted a year in my life. I moved out here with, with a specific plan to move home, and now I don't know what to do. Now, now I'm stuck 1,000 miles from home. I'm in a different time zone, in a different state. What, what's the next step for me, God? And so I humbly went back into my youth pastor's office, and I was like, hey, is, uh, is that offer still good? Might uh, have a change of plans, and by God's grace, the door was still open, and I was able to stay a second year. Now, I thought it was only going to be two years, ended up staying there for four, right? Why? Because God's plan is not my plan. God had something different for me than I expected, but here's the thing. If I hadn't moved home to be his assistant youth pastor, I'd probably still be his assistant youth pastor because he hasn't left youth ministry. He's like an eternal youth pastor. Uh, he's just going. He's in his 60s and isn't stopping, man. I have so much respect for him. I'd probably still be under him, but here's what I would have missed out on. What I didn't know was two years after my internship finished up, there was going to be another intern come in from Pennsylvania named Melody Kaufman. And I was going to become friends with Melody Kaufman, and we were actually going to double date. I was going to date her best friend, and she was going to date my best friend. And we were going to get to know each other very casually. But that God had some plan in that. And... Two and a half years later, we'd start dating, and a year after that, we'd get married, and years down the road, she'd have babies for me, and man, everything that I have in my family today is because God kept me in Tulsa, and I was crushed that God kept me in Tulsa. I was devastated that I had to stay there. I didn't want to be there, but God's plan isn't my plan. God had something for me that I didn't have and if I would have went through my plan if God forbid they would have hired me as assistant youth pastor I would have missed out on what God had for my life God had to shut that door so I could be in position for what he wanted for my life you may be in a situation right now where there's a door shut that you think, man, that door should be open, a promotion, a job, a relationship, and it just doesn't make sense, and it seems so devastating. It seems like something that maybe even somebody promised you or somebody said this is going to happen, and it it just hasn't opened up, and you may be at your wit's end and frustrated with God. Can I encourage you today, God hasn't stopped working on your behalf. That shut door might actually be God's provision and his protection in your life. God's plan is not my plan. Second thing, truth we need to accept as a Christ follower is that God is going to fail to meet your expectations. That's an encouraging one right there, amen? I'm tweeting that one. That one's going on my Facebook profile. God is going to fail to meet my expectations. Well, that may not seem real encouraging, but let's just make it explicit. Jesus was pretty blunt with Peter, wasn't he? He says, get behind me, Satan. I'm just going to be blunt with you today. He's going to fail to meet your expectations. Now, don't stop at the fourth word. The statement is not God is going to fail because he does not fail. But he is going to fail to meet your expectations. Why? Because his thoughts aren't your thoughts. And his plans aren't your plans, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to gear up and accept the fact that in the same way the disciples didn't get every plan that they wanted, in the same way that Jesus wasn't who they expected him to be in many situations, he's probably not gonna always be who we expect him to be in our life either. And that's okay. Brace yourself, be ready for the fact that God will fail to meet your expectations. In 2011, Melody and I started to feel called. To become lead pastors. We were youth pastors here and had been for for a number of years, and we felt God stirring in us the preparation that, man, there was a change coming. There was a shift coming. And so we started praying about it and and trying to put together a plan, and so we decided that the plan was we were going to move to the West Coast, probably to the Seattle area, and plant a church. And so we started studying on church planting and started lining everything up. We even resigned our position to our pastor here. Said, hey, we're going to be moving. Uh, and, and all we asked was that we could stay long enough to take the students on a mission trip that we had scheduled for that summer. So, hey, would you allow us to, to see this thing to completion? And by his, uh, God's grace, Pastor Ricky agreed. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And so in March of 2011, we put our house up for sale. And I convinced that house was going to sell. Man, the market was bad. I was upside down in it, but none of that mattered because my God is supernatural and my God is sovereign and he's going to make a way and it's going to be a testimony of how God's grace is so good. And man, I was, I was sure it was going to sell. We put that house on the market on March 15, 2011. October 15, 2011, we took it off the market, having received zero offers. Devastated, frustrated. God, where are you? God, we know you're preparing us for this shift. We know you're preparing us to take this step. What, why didn't this sell? What are you doing? Why can't we even get an offer? Nobody even lowballed us. Like, we couldn't even be offended, right? Like, just give me something. Uh, silence. Nothing. Little did we know that at the end of January of 2012, Pastor Ricky was going to step down and was going to offer us to be his replacement at City Church. If God had sold that house, I would have missed out on the call he had for me to be pastor here. I would have missed the opportunity to ge- be in your life, man. to have the relationship with you that I do. I would have missed out on so much had God done what I wanted him to do. See, God's th- plan is not my plan. And he's going to fail to meet our expectations. But when he fails to meet our expectations, it's because he's up to something it's because he's got different expectations and it may be frustrating it may not always be immediate right like I wish I could tell you that that I didn't get to move home to North Carolina and two weeks later I met the girl and everything made sense that's not how it worked it was two years until I met the girl and another two and a half years before I dated the girl right like it took a while and you may be in a season right now where it's like man it just doesn't make sense I felt like I should have had this thing two years ago And the door hasn't opened, it may be months, it may be years, I don't know how long it's going to take, but trust God doesn't stop working on your behalf. He's up to something. The third truth we have to accept if we're going to be Christ followers, we're going to pursue his plan is this, God's plan is better than my plan. And this is really the bottom line, right? This is the point. God's plan is better than my plan. Isaiah 55, verse 8, tells us that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my th- thoughts. But verse 9 says this as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, it's not just that they're different, it's not just that I have a path here and God has a path here, it's that his path is higher. It's that his ways are higher. And if I'll trust in him and I'll be patient with him and wait on him, his path is always going to be better than my path. His plan is better than my plan. Amen? We'll illustrate one more time with this. And you've heard this story before, but it's so perfect for this, I can't not tell it. So we just finished up this giving campaign, right? 21 and 21, and God's gone above and beyond. But the last time we did a giving campaign, we started in March of 2017. And we had a goal in March of 2017 to raise $20,000 to renovate the shopping center that we were in, that we'd been in for a number of years. And we trusted God that that money was gonna come in and we had a whole plan. And I'm being honest with you was a good plan right it was my plan I'm taking credit for the plan I thought it was a good plan I thought we were gonna do some really good stuff with this and so we put it out there and our people are amazing and once again we raised above and beyond we raised like twenty two thousand dollars out of the twenty thousand and God provided and and we were excited and we were three days away from starting renovations electricians were coming to take power out of the walls so we could knock the walls down we're having a demolition party on Sunday after service we're excited God is moving and the phone rings Hey, there's a building over on Bethel Road and the church is shutting down. Would you guys be interested? And me and my foolishness, my immediate response was, no, we just signed a new lease over here. We can't do anything. Thank God I am surrounded by smarter people than me. <laughs> and thank God I have a big mouth. And I told somebody about the phone call and like, you idiot, call them back. So I called him back. And long, long, long story short, Instead of renovating a shopping center where we were renting for $20,000, God gave us a building with six acres of land, paid off mortgage-free, rent-free, handed us the keys. And we were able to move in. And not only did we get to move in, but we got to to take the the six people who were left as a part of this church. And they've joined and become a part of our family. They serve and they pray for us. So grateful for them. Joy, if you're watching, man, we love you and we miss you and we're ready for you to come back when COVID's done. Miss Joy is in her 70s, and she hadn't been in this building for a long time trying to stay safe, but she watches us faithfully and she calls me and harasses me and checks on me. And I'm so grateful for her. And everybody who knew this church that was here before us told us there's no way Joy's going to stay. There's no way she's going to like your style, the way you do music, the way you do church. Everybody told me Joy's going to hate it and she's going to be gone like this. And she is absolutely a joy. She really is. I'm so, so grateful. See, God's plan was better than my plan. I had a good plan. But God's plan blew my plan out of the water. Why? Because He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything we ask, think, or dream of. His ways are higher and they're better. They're better. Now that one happened fast, right? The other two, it took a while. That one happened real quick. I was able to connect the dots real fast and I'm grateful that God showed up at the right time to make that plan happen. But he's good, even when he doesn't meet our expectations, even when it hurts, even when life goes sideways, and he's got a different call, a different purpose, a different opportunity than it looks like we should have. Trust him in the meantime. Trust him in that season of doubt in that season of questioning in that season where it seems like every door is shut. Trust there's a door that's gonna open and that door is better. Amen? Would you stand and pray with us, church? Father God, I thank you so much for these awesome people. God, I thank you that just as you've had amazing plans for me, God, that you are no respecter of persons. There's nothing special about me and the plans you have for my my life, God. It's just that you're good. And you have great plans for each and every person in this room, each and every person watching with us online today. So God, I pray that you would enact your plans. But God, if there's a reason why you need to let us wait, if there's a reason why you need to let us sit in, in unmet expectations for a season, God, help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people who trust you, God, who who continue to believe that you're up to something even when we can't see it. So God, I just pray right now that you would increase the faith of your people. God, even increase our expectations. God, not that, that our expectations are right and you're gonna meet each and every one of them, God, but we wanna believe you for big things. Because you're a God who does big things. You're a God who does great things, God. And even if we get it a little bit wrong, like Melody and I did, thinking that you were going to take us to another part of the country when you wanted us here the whole time, God, I pray that, that we would believe big things about you. That we would believe life, God, and that if we're on the wrong track, that we're just going to trust you to get us on the right track to identify that path for us. So God, if there's anybody right now who's wrestling with the doubts of unmet expectations, the doubts about your plans in their life, God, I pray that you would just give them peace, cause them to have contentment, God, even in a season that may outwardly look like a season of discontentment. God, because we know you're always up to good. We know you've always got a plan. And so we pray that you enact it in your people's life on your timing and not on ours, because we trust, God, that your ways are higher, your thoughts are higher, your plans are higher than ours. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Every eye still closed, every head still bowed. If you're here today, you're far from God. Watching with us online, you need to give your life to Jesus. The greatest doubt we can ever push through is the doubt if Jesus died for us, the doubt if Jesus can save us. I wanna encourage you, if that's you today, that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He has a plan and a purpose to to save you and to rescue you and to bring you into his family. And so if that's you and you need to make a fresh start with God today, with nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you simply lift up your hand, both here on site or online, say, I need Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance, a prayer that simply says, God, I want you to be Lord of my life and ask him to forgive you. Praise God. Praise God. If that's you and you raise your hand on this question, you need to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray this repair, prayer after me out loud as a declaration that you're making Jesus Lord of your life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Two things we have to do. We gotta confess and we gotta believe. I think you wouldn't have raised your hand if you didn't already believe. So we're gonna move to the confession side. And that's a state where he says, confess me as Lord. That means not only are we asking him to save us, but we're actually choosing him as king of our life. Choosing him as the one we're going to follow. And if you're ready to make him Lord of your life today, you to pray this out loud if you're a believer with us would you repeat this out loud as a show of support for those making this decision this morning say father god i come to you today i'm a sinner i know i haven't lived the way you want me to and so today i turn from my sin